Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Smith Cyclopedia. My name is Casimir Hurd, and this show is all about the Smiths. And if you didn't know that, I'm kind of surprised. It's in our photo. It's in the name. Really, I mean, you're here for a reason. Uh, and maybe some of you are here for another reason. We have a very special guest on, a returning guest. We have Elise. Elise. I know you all opened this episode. So excited to hear Kaz and a guest. And you all groaned when you saw my name. I know it. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Thank you for having me back on. <laughs> yeah, no, of course. I mean, our, our last episode that we did was so fun. I mean, I literally made a bonus episode out of all of the tangents that, that we took. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> but but really, it, it was a great time. Um, before we started the call, uh, before we started recording the episode, you uh, you mentioned that you're glad that we have like a finite thing to talk about now, and not just like this thing that spans five, five years. years and, and here's the like, thing: I'm I'm on to Kaz's game, everybody. I'm talking to you now, the listener, because um, he gave, today we're going to talk about this event that is specifically like it was a 30 minute long thing. I was like, I'm on to you, picking something that I can't <laughs> go on like endless tangents about. It's smart though. He's he's smart. <laughs> oh, I, I I wouldn't say that. I, I would say more, um, I felt it would be just very topical. Um, yeah, I actually, yeah, no, you're right. Um, I was going to kind of ask you a little bit, like, what was your thinking when you were like, I want to dedicate a whole episode to this, but we'll get into that, I guess. Yeah. Um, so uh, for those that have just let this episode uh, slide into their play next and don't know what it's about, um, we are going to be covering glastonbury today um the smiths uh only ever played glastonbury one time in 1984 and it to a lot of people it kind of changed the way that glastonbury was perceived and how it functioned so i thought it would just be a ton of fun plus i mean glastonbury just happened a few weeks ago so and rick astley and blossoms decided to play an all Smiths set. I'm so glad we're going to talk about this because yes. we didn't discuss exactly what we were going to talk about. I'm I'm thrilled. I watched the whole thing last night. I'm excited. Oh, me too. I I only got to watch about like half of it, but oh man, it was oh, so man. good. Oh man, is all you can say. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um. So before we get into any of that, at least it's been. It's been probably a couple months since uh, we've had you on the show. What uh, what's new with you? Um, I, I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, I mean, I still still writing and stuff. I have like an adult day job now, so that takes up a lot of my time and my energy. And like, I kind of get why people don't have hobbies. Like, this is gonna get. I mean, this is a good uh, podcast to be a downer on if I'm gonna be a downer. <laughs> But I understand why adults are like, I don't have hobbies or like, I don't because I'm so tired after working nine to five. Um, yeah, going to I probably haven't been as writing as much as I should because of that. I'm going to lots of shows, making a scene, being a <laughs> being a nuisance in all senses of the word. I don't really know. I don't have anything to really promote. <laughs> Just that's what's what's been going on with you besides the show. Uh, I mentioned this in my last in the last episode. But I just released an EP. Oh, yeah, I did see this. Yes. I should have, I should have like queued it up for you. That was an intentional, an unintentional queue up. Oh well, you know I appreciate it either way. Last week I, uh, I, I will admit I kind of 
neglected to uh to find anybody to have an episode with because i was just so stressed out with like getting that out and then school and then trying to find a job worrying about like okay well what am i going to do uh find a new place to live etc etc you know normal things Mm -hmm. no Um, totally so into the choir (laughs) so i appreciate i appreciate you asking yeah of course um i wish i had a more compelling answer for everybody for what i'm up to um yeah, I, I, working on a lengthy, extensive blog posts uh, for 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 not that are pretty just much like <laughs> me talking about whatever I do when I go outside or when I go to see shows, and it's all very um, I don't know. I, I just feel myself. <laughs> I just feel myself. There's no endpoint. You know that there's no endpoint with me. <laughs> you should just take the reins back. All right. All right. Nothing. All right. Nothing new's going on with me. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll talk about like what sort of music and stuff you uh, you've right. been listening to a little later I in actually, the show. I did. I did prep for that this time, which I did not last time. All right. And then immediately afterwards, I was like, oh, man. Um, OK, yes. <laughs> All right. Fantastic. Well, shoot. Why don't we just get into it? You know, let's get into it. I'm ready. All right. So a little bit of backstory for y'all. So it is the year 1984. The Smiths have been booked to play Glastonbury. Glastonbury is not necessarily the same sort of Glastonbury that we know it today, especially in the 80s. Um, I mean, one thing that kind of clues you into how different, uh, like just even festival culture, especially in the UK, because I was trying to think of like um, equivalent US festivals. And I mean, the festival culture didn't really emerge as we know it until like Johnny in an interview kind of pointed this out talking about Glastonbury that rave culture kind of made festivals kind of what we think of now. Like if you go to like Coachella or like a big festival or like Glastonbury now it's uh, there's uh, hospitality tents and families go and it costs hundreds of dollars to go for a weekend and it's a whole thing. Um, but festivals in the eighties were for the most part, aside from like one-offs in the U S I think, were in a very like it was a hippie hangover kind of situation. So I mean, just in terms, the first Glastonbury was in 1970, and it was very much I think trying to capture a Woodstock s Isle of Wight s kind of feeling. Actually, you know who headlined the first Glastonbury? Who? Tyrannosaurus Rex. Oh, who would soon be known as T Rex? Yeah, not T Rex yet. It was. <laughs> Still folky uh, Mark Bolin and crew. Yeah, that, um, that is a the very, <laughs> that's a very hippie headliner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's also just like a Smith's related headliner. So I was like, why, why do they, why do these, um, these parallels just keep happening? Uh, but anyway, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I was just going to say that the year that the Smiths performed at Glastonbury, it was called uh, the CND Festival. Yeah. Which is, uh, <laughs> Campaign for Nuclear Disarmament. Nuclear disarmament. Yeah. yeah. So very um, 80s. Going, it wasn't well. It was very seventies too. It was very like um, we're going out to fight the man and do this for a cause. And obviously, the nuclear situation is a very eighties, you know, dilemma. Lots of music, lots of art created to be like you know, uh, in protest of the sort of nuclear uh, fear, um, d- disaster, fear of a disaster in relation to it. And so, but it was kind of like um, we are going out as a in a political protest to perform music. And so like the year before the Smiths performed at Glastonbury, just to give you a sense, Melanie headlined as, as in, I got a brand new pair of roller skates. Mm-hmm. You got a brand new key. 
Melanie. Um, but um, I just, there were sort of new wave-ish bands, a certain ratio who was um, an Hacienda staple and Tony Wilson managed Factory. Um, Fun Boy 3, who was um, Terry Hall from the specials. Uh, shoot, Offshoot Project. Come on, guys. You remember Fun Boy 3? <laughs> um, and The Beat, who are here known as The English Beat, which will always make me laugh because like, what other band has done that where they're like, oh, you guys need to know what country we're from everywhere else. And then here we'll just be called The Beat. I don't know. Um, um, but anyway, suede. that was... Yeah, you're right. I said, <laughs> See, and I knew you were a Suede fan too. Why did I Why'd say Why'd you that? walk right um, into that, Elise? I did walk into that. And it was, it's been a long day. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the year that the Smiths performs, uh, some of the things I found were like the Smiths headline, but like they very famously did not headline. Mm-hmm. Um, they played in the middle of the day. The rest of the lineup was Dr. John, Joan Baez, Fairport Convention, John Martin. It's very folky, mm-hmm. very people who in the 70s, you were like, oh, yeah, these people. Ian Dury, who was kind of a hangover, like from punk, sort of came over from that. Um, so I guess he was more like pub rock, as they called it, in like the UK, where it was like a cousin of punk, but not punk exactly. Um, but it was sort of the first year that there was like, it came out, people came out, artists who kind of lived in that new wave sort of post-punk universe sort of came out in force. Elvis Costello and the Attractions, which would have been an amazing show in this mm-hmm. year, uh, headlined, but they joined very last minute. Um, the Smiths were supposed to, Billy Bragg, their friend, who also got them involved with Red Wedge, which is also polit- politics related. I mean, we can get into that at some point, but general public. Um, the Smiths were supposed to play later than they did, but reggae pop outfit, Amazulu, announced late that they wanted to come. And so they were like, oh, that's a bigger act than the Smiths. <laughs> we'll put them, we have to push yeah. the Smiths up. So... But so that was sort of just that was just to give like everybody a sense of sort of the divide and the uh, kind of what was the audience? for Yeah, is maybe the question (laughs) at the time. Um, You look like you want to say something. Um, (laughs) Yeah, uh, as well. Morrissey and Johnny Marr uh, both kind of had that same sort of like this is a weird thing for us. Like uh, Morrissey in an interview at Glastonbury it just essentially is like, you know, I don't really understand the whole hippie thing. And it's a very hippie place here. And he just goes on about hippieism. There are there. This is a 15 second clip that is on YouTube. And I ha- I wrote it down. For oh, fantastic. I won't do the accent. I won't no, do no, the no, accent, no. You should try. Falls, you should try. No, it falls into his cadence. So, <laughs> like there's only a certain way you can read this and it, it's going to end up sounding like him. OK, here we go. They and I'm assuming he's talking about the Smiths in general. It just starts with they. They have no connection with Hippie Festival, but they don't necessarily have to. Being here, perhaps some people can change their attitudes about certain things. But I don't want to sound revolutionary or wild or dangerous. But hippiedom, <laughs> what does it mean? I don't know. I love... That's it. <laughs> I love that clip so much. Because Morrissey, like, whenever he just... Whenever he's trying to sound, like, really, really profound and he realizes, like, halfway oh through, like... I just have nothing to say. The so, adjectives. Yeah, he'll just start peppering in <laughs> adjectives and other words. It, and he'll just throw in like Who's a question say, at the yeah, end. Yeah. A classic, tr- a classic chart. I can't. <laughs> Very funny. <laughs> um, but another thing, too, is in between the time when they were booked for the festival and when the festival actually happened, mm-hmm. their debut album came out, hit number two, and they kind of became a lot larger of pop stars. So they were slated to play 
earlier in the day, right. like you had mentioned, and were kind of bumped down. And so a lot of people that were there were just going crazy in the middle of the day during Glastonbury, which is not necessarily what you'd expect. But also, since they had become massive pop stars, that meant people that were seeing them in the middle of the day mm -hmm. and saw that everybody else was going crazy were having a visceral reaction. Right. Also, yeah, I feel it's it's strange because this sort of uh, tour in quotes that are sort of leg of a tour because the Smiths pretty much constantly toured unless they were like coming to the U.S. and it was a set date, but they always toured around the U.K. Um, this kind of run, let's say, started with... Uh, the Jobs for Change uh, gig mm -hmm. that the Greater London Council put together, free show. Um, and sort of, they played with Billy Bragg there again. So that started on June 10th, and they did a bunch of mostly Scottish dates and then sort of ended with this. It's just kind of weird. Again, it like draws back to this idea that the festivals, in quotes, where they were on a major bill with other acts that were maybe not super smithsy, it just sort of pretty much all of them were, were like politically aligned or for the labor party, like in terms of like doing red wedge. Um, so it just, it just kind of gives you a sense that this is just such a different kind of event. Mm -hmm. And that I'd, I'd assume the Smiths booked it for, for that reason, partially, um, even though it might've had like hippie connotations to it. Um, and then where was I going with this? I started this sentence. And if then... you need, I have somewhere to go. Okay. Um, there's a, a collection of like everything that Grant Showbiz still has from his time, <laughs> like uh, touring with the Smiths. And one of those was the like press release that they released right. for Heaven Knows I'm Miserable Now. Um, and in it, they talk about like, all right, well, to promote the, the single, we're going on these tours and we're going to play the greater uh, London council. And also this kind of glass and very thing. It's like, Oh, okay. This was just a part of like, they were just like, Oh, well, you know, we might as well do this. We were asked. Exactly. So. Um, no. Yeah. Very much. Probably it was said. And they were like, Oh yeah, that's probably good. Playing something like this where we, uh, nuclear disarmament sounds like a plan. And mm -hmm. they very much said when they got there, they were like, what are we doing here? <laughs> um, it's also, that's tricky. I feel like I talk to a lot of bands who are, it's their first time, like first time having a publicist, first album coming out, and I kind of get assigned those, I feel like, a lot. Um, or I chase new artists that I really like. And um, I always ask, like, if they play a lot of festivals, like, how do you handle festivals? Because it's a different kind of experience, which the Smith said, we, so far, we've played to our disciples, and everybody comes and yells like it's like a football match and then you are put in front of these people who are there to see maybe Joan Baez and they say mm -hmm. who are these people like it's so it was just so I'm sure at least half of that crowd was went in suspicious or not knowing what was happening or saying why were these people booked it's also um it's also their Glastonbury set is kind of famous their sound was not great no for, I mean, you can find the whole performance online, which I also listened to again. Mm -hmm. And um, Johnny's Johnny said that it was like the voice and his guitar were coming out of the bass amp. Yeah. It's also a it's a it's not a board uh, like a soundboard recording. It's like someone in the audience had like a tape recorder. So you, I think you can also hear they're on Andy's side of the stage because Andy is very prominent in the recording. Um, so uh, there's a bunch of factors to now we don't have like a per we can't. Uh, like recreate what exactly what it sounded like or what like, the sound screw up was because there were like three degrees of separation from like the actual amps. Um, but yeah, you can tell 
the, I like that you can genuinely hear as the show goes on, people get more excited. Yeah. And I would say Heaven Knows, which is like exactly the first song of like the second half, because they only play 10 songs, all upbeat, fast songs, um, which is probably smart in a in a festival setting mm-hmm. where you are not the headliner and people don't know these songs, possibly. Um, you hear people getting more into it and like actually, like you said, like kind of going crazy for it or like being enthusiastic. But the first half, it's a little it's a little wonky for sure. Also, you mentioned Grant Showbiz mm-hmm. and I've read this i guess it's sort of um probably not a myth it's probably real because uh someone asked johnny about it at some point this was probably like uh, like 15 years ago or something um it was either grant showbiz or phil their tour manager at the time um said oh you know what we should do we should go um to glastonbury in a white stretch limo a 1972 white stretch limo i'll have you know <laughs> and I remember by the this, time yeah. it ended and the show was you know it took a while for it to get become he considered a excuse me. He considered a, a success. Um, by the end, when they got back to it, the tires had flashed, which also fits with what, what Glastonbury was. I'm sure they didn't mind because that's sort of with the spirit of the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. As well, it sort of seems like the kind of thing that Morrissey would like memorialize yeah. <laughs> in his autobiography. Like, like, uh, we, we just got back from playing the most prestigious festival. And, you know, obviously something that he doesn't really believe, but he's playing into it. And they slashed our tires. Yeah. I think he, I think they he hit us so much. I think he would find humor in that, uh, because it was just, it's so absurd. Hey, we should get a limo. It's the Smith. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Like, yeah. I, just, I just feel like I have to be like, like, what? Um, yeah, I was very, I was um, interested in the set list. I guess it's pretty typical for the time. Yeah. I know, like, um, I'm sure you're familiar with the uh, website Passions Just Like Mine. Of course. But, of course, uh, Bible. But, um, <laughs> so, the average set list at, a time, at the time was, like, 15 songs, and I imagine there were other, there were slower songs that they cut. Um, but I, Gene makes an appearance. I know I talked about my love of Gene last time I was mm-hmm. here. I blacked out for most of it, but Gene, but uh, Gene is a great one. And so just like hearing that played like near the end when people were really getting into it, it was exciting. Um, yeah. I guess the rest you, of it is pretty typical. No, go. Do you want to just go through the set list right now? Like what, sure. what do we got on here? Okay. Yeah, that's a good point. I thought <laughs> Nowhere Fast opens it, which had not been released yet, by the way. So that's a no. choice opener. <laughs> um, Girl Afraid. Handsome Devil, um, This Charming Man, which uh, I feel like is when people started yelling because they're like, oh, yeah, I know this song. You know, yeah. they knew a song. Um, William, uh, Heaven Knows I'm Miserable Now, Still Ill, Gene, Barbarism Begins at Home, which also had not been released yet, and um, Hand in Glove to close it out. And then people started, I, I mean, I listened to this like a week ago or revisited a week ago, but people started chanting like, not encore, but they were like, more, 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 and, more. And the Smiths were not coming back. You guys don't know. Again, now we know how uh, festival uh, scheduling <laughs> times and when you get cut off, get cut off. Speaking of Glastonbury, Lana's, Lana Del Rey, and I say Lana like I know her personally, Lana Del Rey's mic getting turned off this year and how that was like a big thing. And they escorted because <laughs> she was, no, and I, everybody was yelling at her. And this is a tan, uh, like a two minute, not two minute, like two seconds tangent. But everybody was yelling at her and you guys obviously don't have like the, the bandwidth for like diva behavior but she apparently she came out on stage she was like a half hour late or something and she's like sorry guys my hair takes forever and that's the kind of and i think that establishes <laughs> lana as our last real however you feel about her music as our last real rock star because i think that's yeah. a perfectly acceptable answer <laughs> she is i think she's she has mythos she has she gets people angry i think she's like a fascinating um pop culture like 
uh, figure. And so she said that and I was like, how are you going to be mad at that? That's amazing. Yeah. Like <laughs> on one hand, it's like you made us wait 30 minutes to do for you to do yeah. your hair. But on the other hand, like the fact that you, the fact that you were doing your hair, you were having your hair done for 30 minutes, putting off this is so such a character move. Yeah. yeah. She, um, and then they, it was a whole scene. They cut her mic off. And then, so everybody was like singing for her. And then they had uh, the security come out and escort her off the stage. Like she was like a, like an invade, an invader or something. <laughs> I was like, it's Lana Del Rey. We went to the same college, um, which I think is so bizarre, especially now that like, um, I don't know, I guess she's from upstate New York, but like, she's, she's a, she's a California girly famously now. And, um, yeah. I'm trying to picture her like in like my, my, my like apartment in the bronx like going to the same things it's so funny mm -hmm. um anyway her her big old eye makeup and everything well i do the big that's very bronx actually maybe really? that's where she got right. it from. it's very outer borough new york i think of a certain I, time and place <laughs> i've never been so it's yeah um anyway that was my lana tangent it's glastonbury related it's on topic nobody yelled at me <laughs> 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 but anyway um anyways yeah all so right. scheduling that's what i was talking about scheduling for festivals um but anyway they weren't coming back even though but people got excited so they won the crowd over in the end which i think is like a good way to end that sort of story or that set list maybe yeah i think now that we've got it like at a glance yeah let's go through song by song nowhere fast <laughs> what about the performance of the song or just my thoughts it on the song in general the performance of the song we we all know we love the smiths i mean if you have like some serious grudge against handsome devil then you know i love launch him. into Do it people but... not like handsome devil or are you just giving an example i'm just giving an example okay yeah. i mean i would i don't know if i have any specific thoughts on the, each performance of each song because i feel like most of them obviously again the sound is like an issue for part of it and again we're we're like on a, like a it could have been like a rinky dink little tape recorder it was being recorded on so like i feel like i yeah. can't comment on like each individual this was an eight nowhere fast an eight out of ten for the i will say i feel like you can tell nowhere fast in particular is in like its early form yeah like the sort of uh start stop drum yeah drum sections that they have in the in the pre-chorus chorus, chorus. Mm -hmm. it's it's interesting because that doesn't really appear anywhere right. else I, I, yeah, I wonder, I didn't double check or like, um, like put them up against each other the date when they did the John Peel session for that song. Um, but I know Barbarism, like just to talk about like the songs, I guess that hadn't come out yet, because maybe those are the performances that would have been mm -hmm. like, different if anything would have been. I mean, Barbarism was pretty much set mm -hmm. by early 84, because I think it's pretty, pretty much like yeah. the first song that of that kind of emerged for fully formed that would eventually end up on Meet as Murder. Yeah, not only that, but like, it was something that Johnny and Andy had been jamming right, right. since before the Smiths. So it was just Morrissey and Mike. Morrissey and Mike needed to figure this <laughs> stuff out. Johnny and Andy, right, they right. had that solid. Um, yeah, I mean, the other kind of famous thing, just uh, for like a thing about Glastonbury, and there's a very famous picture of it. Um, I don't remember if Angie took this picture or if like a real photographer took this picture because it's it's way back and it's like you could see the whole width of the stage because um people obviously were trying to invade the stage by the time hand and glove came around uh -huh. as was uh, custom at that point and so johnny like reached through like the bars and like started pulling them up and um so there's this very famous picture of it's just a stage full of people and it becomes like a fun where's waldo situation where you can find each of the smiths and like this big crowd of people <laughs> on stage um which feels like uh signing off at this uh like weird not 
like kind of nebulous idea of a festival in like true Smith's fashion. Yeah. So maybe that's what I have to say about like the events uh, mid show. Sure. Yeah. Um, I think it's also interesting. Uh, and I want to talk more about the stage invasion a little later. Um, yeah, yeah. Cause I freaking love a stage invasion. Um, sure. But I think it's very interesting. Uh, they were playing all these songs that weren't released. And then also William, it was really nothing, which wasn't released, but it was fully oh, formed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This was still in promotion of heaven knows I'm miserable now. Um, right. Well, I knew this was, this is something that they'd repeat because when they came over to the U S to tour, the queen is dead. They played panic and all the singles that kind of came between that and strange ways and sort of, like didn't care that people hadn't heard them before uh, and sort of just added them to the set list every night. So I feel like it was just whatever we're working on is what you're going to get. And I guess the, the knowledge, the like um, the wisdom is Smith's fans will love this anyway, but it sort of like carried over to the, maybe this audience isn't all Smith's fans group too, which I kind of, mm-hmm. I guess they don't know any of the songs anyway. So like, why not hit them with what you think is your best? And um, they always thought what they did latest was best as it probably should be. Mm-hmm. So um yeah that's just that's interesting too yeah i feel like this really is such a good such a good set because you have like unreleased tracks you have b-sides you have Mm. like the singles obviously and then you just have like not like experimental tracks truly but they're just very (laughs) different than what the smiths would normally do like playing like barbarism begins at home at any smith show it's just kind of a weird like a weird thing but they always did yeah like it was a staple but i will say i think it would be i think it would be a weird thing for any other artist but they so clearly love and here's the other thing and i i'm talking to you johnny Marr. later he was like oh we don't really we don't really love barbarism you know that's not one of our favorites but if they were obviously so excited about it when they first came up with it um or like first like had that version gel mm-hmm. together by like early 84 because they would play it sometimes like two times a show i don't know if you've ever heard yeah. that uh, specific paris mm-hmm. recording where they come back for an encore and morrissey says johnny wants to do barbarism again johnny wants to do hear that <laughs> johnny wants to do barbarism yeah. again do you mind yes you do mind no you don't mind um but yeah so and obviously uh, the longest versions were like 17 minutes long 13 minutes long you know once they eventually toured it in america by the time it had come out um so they they had a lot of and because it's sort of like not that the smith jam like that feels like a like i shouldn't have even said that word like i just set something on fire by saying that but like that it's sort of like something they can go long on and um draw out and Johnny and Morrissey can dance. And obviously this version uh, isn't that, isn't that long, but um, it sort of morphs into this long, almost 20 minute long thing. And then they kill it from the set list. I think um, maybe during that American tour, I didn't double check that. Hey, I'm just punching in because I can double check that. Um, it was 16 minutes and it happened in Laguna Hills, California. So that's where barbarism died. Um, and then it just disappears forever. But for one brief shining moment, about a year, it was like it was like the crowning jewel or something. Yeah. And it was always like the penultimate, the penultimate one. Right. I think it was only the last time that they played it, that it was the last uh, the last song that they played. Or no, I shouldn't say that it was. Yeah, I didn't double check. I should this. say when it was uh, the last time that they ever played that song, that was the final song. And then I think they realized we're going a little overboard. <laughs> Kill it while um, it's good. I get it. Yeah. But uh, one thing that I find especially interesting about this uh, this barbarism performance is 
the vocal effects that Morrissey is right. using. Because you never, like, you hardly ever hear Morrissey using vocal effects live. Yeah, I feel like, But here, yeah. he is using them to, like, max capacity. I feel like, and that's very strange, especially given it took them a second to, like, get the sound normal. And then they were like, oh, you know what we should throw on now? Um, <laughs> whoever did sound. Uh, <laughs> or I guess it might have been, it must have been Grant Chobis. I don't always know how the, the festival, how to, like, that uh, switch off works. Um, or, like, who you have manning all your stuff or if you man it with someone else. But, um, yeah, I feel like I've definitely heard other versions where, like, there's been a vocal effect, or and, but that was probably, like, an in-house live setup. So, it, it was inter- it's interesting mm-hmm. to hear it in this setting, too. Let's get weird now. We, yeah. it, the whole situation is so bizarre. Let's just get more bizarre. I like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, it, if you haven't listened to the recording, we highly recommend you do. Uh, there's this wonderful YouTube mm. channel called uh, The Smiths yes. Live. They have it. It's a very good recording as far as uh, bootleg Mm -hmm. live recordings go. But the effect that they're essentially doing is they're just putting this massive reverb anytime Morrissey is doing his little yelps. And it's just very interesting. I agree. (laughs) But overall, like all of the songs, very good. And in total Smith's fashion, by the end, they pretty much win over the crowd. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. I like again. I like that you can hear you can hear a progression in the crowd reaction too. I really like that. Um, Glastonbury with the Smiths also kind of famous for uh, the pictures taken of them, not just while they're performing, but backstage beforehand. Obviously, the gatefold in the middle of uh, Hatful Apollo. Um, mm-hmm. For a while, I saw people attributing uh, the Jobs for Change gig pictures where Johnny has like um, like a like a maybe like rust or red colored blazer with his big round glasses on, but that was for the, in London. And then this is mm-hmm. a different, it's a different look, everybody. If you're, if you two are keeping <laughs> track with uh, the Johnny Marr look at this time, um, as I am, th- that was a different gig, but yeah, no, the pictures from this festival walking onto the stage, there are like a bunch of them that you can find. And like, I think it sort of helps capture like the feeling of the day, um, them in this like uh, dressing room and then walking in the middle of these fields, which again, doesn't feel, smithsy with all the tents around them it's just funny yeah i have this little like uh army ammunition box that's just full of like music yeah. stuff and i've plastered all like all around it with like photos of the smiths and on the bottom where it's biggest i have just this like uh i have that picture of johnny and morrissey yeah. walking at glastonbury and it's just like all right heck yeah <laughs> that's like that is just like such good partnership and unison just mm-hmm. like i don't know I, I love these pictures. And then also like the picture of uh, Andy and Morrissey just like hanging out outside of a, right, outside yeah. of a trailer. It, it's just like, yeah, there's such a feeling of just like camaraderie around the band. Totally. Andy and Morrissey, I would say are probably Morrissey's longest lasting friendship to really come out of the Smiths. Yeah, if you want to do math, I mean, like, what does that mean, though? I do, have you ever read the quote from Andy kind of saying, um, and this is like a little sad, but like, but also not, I guess, because you need these friendships in your life. Him kind of saying, I never really like broke through. And this isn't direct quoting. I don't have it in front of me. Kind of, I never really broke through like the barrier with Morrissey to be like, have like a deep talk or anything. But he said, we mastered mm-hmm. the art of the chit chat. 
Um, and he's, and he's, he said pretty much, I would just try to like make a joke or make him laugh or something. And then when I got him to laugh, I'd be like, okay, we're cool. But like, uh, they would take the bus home together from re- like, um, rehearsing when the Smiths first started and like, they wouldn't have anything to say to each other. So it would just kind of be like, mm-hmm. it was him trying to figure out how do I approach Morrissey and make him talk to me, which is, um, kind of sweet. But then later, uh, Morrissey also wrote, not Morrissey. Oh my God. Andy also writes some of my favorite uh, Morrissey solo songs or co-writes. Yes, I am mm-hmm. blind is a is a banger in the true scholarly sense of the yeah. word. Um, so yeah, no, definitely. Um, it's a, it's an interesting little relationship like that. Yeah, and I think Morrissey, like even if like even if he didn't feel comfortable enough, sort of let Andy in for those like very very deep talks. I think he always felt very deeply for Andy, right. like writing Sunny, yeah, uh, about andy like and then obviously the tribute right. that he he just published a couple months ago for sunny is one of andy passed yeah away. sunny is one of my favorite morrissey solo songs too um me too that's me a great too. one but also i mean and this is like we don't need to get into the complexities of morrissey's character or his his unreliable narrator delusion like whatever but like um but also just like <laughs> uh the idea that i mean i'm not accusing anyone of anything but maybe who 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 wrote the note that said, Andy, you have left the Smiths, um, who made that executive mm-hmm. and either way, who made that executive decision? Like, come on. Um, sorry, everybody who's like an Andy Morrissey best friends forever truther. But, um, and I understand that that's also, <laughs> I also understand that's a difficult, that's a, obviously such a difficult situation. And Johnny has said, I definitely shielded Morrissey from whatever was going on with Andy. Cause a, he was like mm-hmm. 21 and he was trying to like maintain my friend is like, hopelessly addicted to something that i don't take and i don't know how to control and that's like a scary situation for anyone to be in when you have a loved one or like yeah. a longtime best friend to be in that situation um but he was 100 percent like i tried to hide it from kind of hide it from morrissey or like downplay it to morrissey because i didn't want him to freak out i didn't know how he would react um and then i guess sort of being put in that situation where someone becomes unreliable and it's a disease obviously and so i wouldn't i wouldn't uh be surprised and i wouldn't like completely say you know, it's the worst thing ever if Morrissey freaked out about it and said it's the best if he leaves. And then eventually, obviously, Morrissey, uh, Andy comes back. But it's just it's such a it's such an interesting sort of dynamic and sort of how the like, I don't know how that played out in like, I don't know. It takes it's like it's like, I don't know. <laughs> that was going somewhere really profound. And I just like my brain doesn't have the capacity to make it work right now. Um it's just like an yeah. interesting uh, personal Whether, dynamic that's sort of a layer that's added to this like an intensely like fraught um, emotional story. I feel like you can't tell the story without getting like super personal fast or something. It's like one of those bands. Yeah, no, for real. Um, I, yeah, I sorry. Think. Yeah, I can I, love the Smiths. <laughs> uh, sorry to get like deep on that, but it's an obviously all respect to Andy and he had his struggles and i'm not judging anybody in that situation and i have a massive empathy for him um but it's just interesting into how those pushes and pulls all played out and how that sort of there's so much intensity like that's the word everybody uses when they talk about the smiths people who are in the smiths people who are around the smiths say it was just so intense all the time and this like rush of only like five slightly over five years but just like um everything is personal and deeply like secretive and deeply like everything's personal and intense and i think maybe 
And that kind of fits mm-hmm. with the music. The music mirrors what was the, the high drama that was going on behind the scenes that we kind of know about now, now that there's 60 million books about it. Um, but yeah, and that's, that's uh, part of why I think I became obsessed with them because they're so, they're, the stakes are so high for everything <laughs> all the time. Um, and yeah, so it's just like really, obviously I don't want to overstep my bounds talking about people that I don't know personally. Mm-hmm. Um, or what their lives were like, or and I don't want to say what people were feeling, but that was just kind of like a just thinking, trying to get into everybody's. So I'm, I'm a mind that's hard to get into anyway. Just like thinking about his relationships with those people is really interesting. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And I mean, really, it it's all so speculative. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, yeah, we'll never have a definitive like what happened because with of how course. much has been published by other people and members of the band, really, yeah. I mean, it's just such a it's so unclear where the truth actually lies. Yeah. And I feel like, and also this could have been because of management problems. Even when Andy's talking about the end of the Smiths, he's like, well, I thought that maybe this had happened between Johnny Morrissey, but I don't really know that. Cause nothing was written down. It was them like whispering to each other, like behind closed doors. And then they kind of had to, even people who were in the band have, were like left to assume it's so, yeah, it was just, it was such a personal like pet project that like they lived and died for. And that kind of came to bite them in the end, but it's also why like the work is so great. So yeah. it's part, it's all intertwined. Mm-hmm. All right. So <laughs> I, I, I'm going to rein us back in here for a second, back to glass. Yeah, yeah. Of course. Um, so let's talk about the stage invasion. So okay. Glastonbury is obviously a festival and that means you have big stages. That means that you have security guards and that means mm-hmm. that it's pretty hard to do that sort of thing. But right. it was a staple of like every Smith gig, or at least every gig that they did moderately well at. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And so you can kind of hear it in the recording too. Like, uh, at what point like fans really start to get up there? And like you mentioned earlier, like Johnny is the one that pulls the first fan. Everybody else mm-hmm. is just like, heck yeah, absolutely. We're going, yeah. we're going up here. This isn't a. Uh, glastonbury but it is in another uh live setting i think it's in irvine california oh, in 1986 thank your lucky stars. i'll tell you right now thank your lucky stars is the name of this bootleg <laughs> and, and it's um, so good and it is in the middle of probably the like the like it's just the funniest song it could happen in the middle of it's in the middle of i know it's over mm-hmm. and um there are there, i mean pretty much all the smith's live life was uh pretty much in direct like opposition with security teams no matter what they were doing um mm-hmm. people standing <laughs> people keeping the band from the fans if there was a barrier they didn't understand why there was barrier why it was for their safety whatever especially with like how crazy smith's crowds could get it's in the middle of i know it's over at the specific show and you hear him go like oh my god <laughs> <laughs> he starts yelling at the leave security. him alone <laughs> it's, leave him alone you stupid idiot it's so um, it's so like it's so it's a very morrissey moment just because he'd say yeah. like the like the weirdest thing too like he wouldn't just like <laughs> and then he just goes right back into singing it's like shocking <laughs> yeah but before any of this i i love what morrissey says is very cheeky yeah he goes uh Remember, there are more of you than there are of them. Right. There's an earlier show where I don't know if it was recorded, but he's like, if a security guard tries to stop you, kiss them right on the mouth. (laughs) (laughs) And then the security guys all backed up immediately. Yeah. Like, you go, you go, you go. Um, So, yeah. And you hear, um, I don't know if it's that same show where you hear Johnny yell too, 
he's like and he calls them uh like the security guys neanderthals i don't know if that was the same tape but um it happened a few times for sure but that one is just like what and then he goes back yeah sadville bride (laughs) yeah (laughs) be happy (laughs) keeping with the mood of the of the song it's just it's crazy (laughs) yeah um but anyways so stage invasions were a big part of the smiths and for the smiths to have a stage invasion at glastonbury not only cemented the fact that it was truly like the smiths show by the end Mm -hmm. of uh by end of the set but it kind of changed the way that glastonbury was perceived and that it worked they saw like how they saw the sort of impact that the smiths had the smiths are not a hippie group and from that point (laughs) forward i feel like you get a lot more like very indie pop groups coming along yeah, I think Echo and the Bunnymen was a headliner the following year. Um, mm-hmm. 86 is, or 85 rather, um, is where, and then The Cure, I think, headlined at 86. And they were all big bands like that. I mean, and, but I will say, I know we're on Smith's podcast, but nobody talks about the Elvis Costello set from this show, even though they were technically, they ended the day. Um, we talk about the Smith set. That's what people bring up from Glastonbury 84. So it's hard to argue that they sort of were, uh, they changed the energy of what like festivals were. For sure, especially in in the UK. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, Which is (laughs) which is such a funny thing for a band that came on in the middle of the day. And when they started, the thing that people were most excited about was just simply that it wasn't raining. Yeah, it was a strange thing for Glastonbury. Famous for the I've never been to Glastonbury. I was trying to think of the last time I went to a major festival. I know I'm a music writer, but I never I never really cover large scale like uh, corporate festivals like that. I was trying to think Mm -hmm. the last time I went to GovBall when it was still on. If you're from New York and when it was still on Randall's Island, it's moved like three times since then. and uh, yeah, I went to see. I went to the barrier to see Florence and the Machine and wept like a baby. Mm. And um, but yeah, good. anyway, good. <laughs> um, and then the day where uh, SZA and the Strokes were supposed to play, it got rained out. It was like, and this is the reason they moved it off of an island because like they said, oh yeah, no, people come, even though it was like um, hurricane weather. <laughs> and then they had trouble evacuating people from the island. <laughs> so anyway, that was a little tangent. But I was trying to think about this, just like the idea of what a festival now kind of is and like how yeah how how glastonbury is like a big thing like that now i've never been to glastonbury even though i would love to go but it's like a big corporate you know event yeah. and so kind of at this like um middle finger to the man gig that the smiths didn't fit at but they also kind of perfectly fit in with it um idea ideologically so, yeah. yeah and i i i feel like now we kind of have this sort of cemented idea of like the the big like British festivals are like Reading and Leeds and Glastonbury. Yeah. And I don't think that was the perception at no, the time. No, absolutely not. So um, the other thing, I guess it was when he played in 2019, uh, Johnny did solo and uh, they mm-hmm. said, Oh, did you have the feeling that it was a big momentous occasion? He was like, Abs-, like when you played the first time, he was like, absolutely not. <laughs> he was like, <laughs> he's like you, this is where he goes into, you need to understand this wasn't, it wasn't Glastonbury. It was like a thing we showed up to do in Glastonbury, the town. Um, <laughs> like, yeah. um, and I know I thought about, I was trying to think about all the times they played it since I know Morrissey for your arsenal when he was on tour for that, he played it. I think it was like 2004 and then 2011. Johnny comes back like every year to play with someone else this year. He came back to play with the pretenders. Which might be a good segue into what we're really all here to talk about, which is one Richard Astley <laughs> and his band <laughs> showing up 
the drama, the intrigue, the uh, I'm I like this is what I'm here for. I can't, I can't lie. <laughs> All right, let's talk about Rick Astley and Blossoms. Yeah. Um. So uh, there was there was some. So they've done this set before before Glastonbury this year. Um. Mm-hmm. I think it was in 2021 they did the first one, and there were wildly. Of course, everybody turns to Morrissey and Johnny to be like. What are they going to say? And also, I don't know the reason behind Rick Astley wanting to say, hey, should I just be a Smith cover act now? Aside yeah. from the fact that he he said, I like Smith <laughs> and they're great songs. And I was like, good for you, Rick Astley. I have no I have no beef with this man. <laughs> I think, yeah. You know what? There, we have the term Rick rolling because of this this guy who had this one like weird. He's a one weird one hit wonder. And now he's like, you know what? I'm going to get this band and we're going to play all Smith songs. And I say good for him. But um, it was kind of the initial reaction to this thing, uh, this like weird cover band situation where they like took it on tour for a few dates around the UK and stuff. Um, Morrissey was kind of into it at first. And he was like, it's good if anybody tries to. Uh, I, I thought I had what he wrote down. He on your favorite vetted news source site and mine, Morrissey Central. Mm-hmm. I said that with a big eye roll, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he I will say he headlined it. If there's something you'd like to try, Astley, 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 <laughs> which is pretty good. I'll, I'll give I'll give him credit when credit is due. <laughs> but uh, and he's like, it's great that someone's still flogging the Smith Force because the songs are great. But then also someone he had an op ed published on Morrissey Central. I don't know what the rules are for this. Uh, whatever. I'm not going to get into this. That other can of worms. But um, someone saying it's crazy that Morrissey Morrissey obviously lives on because people are still performing his songs. So then I got into a whole, how can you hate Morrissey now if you're still singing his songs and whatever. But so at first, it, at least it seemed like he was like cool with it. But Johnny was like, that's not cool. Because apparently he had like talked to Blossoms the week before and they didn't bring it up. And oh. uh, so he was on Twitter saying, this is like funny, but it's also horrible. Like he's such a, he's such a dad, like whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so um, then I did, I did coffee and paste <laughs> hold on hold on real fast did you see did you see that screenshot of the video of morrissey falling down on instagram and it's like my johnny bar i put it on twitter immediately i said fellow messy bitch and fellow scorpio for me um johnny marr is is being messy again (laughs) he liked it i thought that was so funny it had me screaming oh so good uh he's here to create a mess and i appreciate it anyway after that because he's like he's like not cool they didn't bring this up like a week ago and this is all over twitter by the way so i mean there's no nuance in that and then he said fyi all you head cases i've got no problem with tribute bands or anyone doing anyone's songs and i've got no problem with rick astley there's a backstory that's that and then Mm. later i guess it was in september of 2021 a few months later he says i didn't ask someone enemy asked him about it and he said i didn't ask for that but sometimes stuff like that just happens when you're in the public eye um, there was an MO there that just wasn't very cool, but I've dealt with it. I think I'm a pretty reasonable person and I've dealt with it, which sounds very ominous. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I guess it was because they didn't tell him ahead of time or like, cause they're, they're friendly or they're friends and they just didn't bring it up. But he was like, uh, miffed by that, I guess. But anyway, so, but the point, my point kind of with this was he was at Glastonbury playing with the pretenders, with his old friend, Chrissy Hind, who is truly friends with everybody. Mm-hmm. One of the few people who remained friends with, both Morrissey and Johnny post which is um, amazing which is like her and Kirstie McCall and like maybe like a photographer too like that's it mm-hmm. um but everybody likes Chrissy Hind like that's the point um and so he was there do you think he got there in the middle of the day and he heard Rick Astley like a drunk uncle singing ask <laughs> <laughs> and from a tent he heard ask in the distance and he was like 
What? <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to, nobody, nobody found out if he heard it or asked him about it, which is probably smart enough how he reacted the first time. Um, but that, that was just interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about, so let's talk about uh, this, uh, the set was yeah. not advertised. Nobody knew about the set until the day before it was listed as a TBA on the schedule. I looked into it and then 24 hours before it happened, they said, uh, oh, it's Rick Astley and Blossoms, which told everybody, you know, they're going to be doing the Smith set. Uh, so that's exciting. I, I would have, when I say I'm so sad I wasn't at this event, I would, do they want to take it overseas? Cause I will be the first in line for tickets. No, absolutely. Like <laughs> a Rick Astley blossoms tour. That is just Smith songs. Like, Amazing. Yeah. Um, and I mean as well, like honestly, it's kind of a smart move on their part. Cause both are groups that like, or Rick Astley and Blossoms, Blossoms more so. I've listened to some stuff and occasionally I'll throw them on a playlist. And like Rick mm. Astley, I have like a seven inch single that isn't never going to give you up. Oh, wow. You're a deep, you're a deep. I know. Deep you're um, a fan. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it would it would make me more inclined to go see them or to listen to more of their new music going like, oh, OK, we have a shared heritage, you know? Yeah. <laughs> We're part of the same tribe. Yeah. People, I'm going to say something controversial yet brave. Is this a safe space? Uh, <laughs> I have had genuine nightmares about the Smiths reuniting. <laughs> I really have. And you're all going to think I'm crazy. And a lot of people, when Andy passed away, obviously, uh, like horrible, so sad. Um, he will be dearly missed. But everybody's saying, oh, there's never going to be a real Smiths reunion now. And I'm like, there was never going to. I'm going to tell you all now. I And you can tell me if I'm wrong. Come collect money from me for your bets, whatever. I don't think. There was never going to be a Smith reunion. I will say 15 years ago, uh, Morrissey and Johnny did their little chat about it. And then Morrissey goes to Johnny like he should have known he was going to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I just don't think it's going to happen. None of them want to be in the same room with each other. No. And also, if they did, why? I don't I don't get why. I don't understand reunion fever. That's a thing I don't understand. I feel like some bands I'd say like, oh yeah, I'll go for the history maybe. But also tickets are always super <laughs> when Roxy Music reunited this year, obviously it wasn't gonna be with Brian Eno, because you know Brian Eno viewed whatever they passed over to him as blood money. <laughs> and also like <laughs> he's like, I'm not taking money from Brian Ferry any day. Mm-hmm. Um but also it's so expensive. like it was tickets were so expensive. And I'm like, what do I get out of this that I won't get out of listening to the album from when they were like in their prime. I don't know. I kind of don't, I understand maybe the Smiths, if they did get back together, I would pay just to say I saw it, mm-hmm. pay for it just to say I saw it. But I don't understand. I would so rather not just like listen to them. I have so many live. I have so much. It's such a well archived band. Why do I need to see them live? But anyway, my whole point with this was that people want to be in a large group of people. And this is maybe a reason why you would do, go. Mm-hmm. People want to be in a large group of people and sing Smith songs. Yeah. People love the Smiths. And so, and, uh, you know, people have kind of, I personally, and obviously everybody has their situation. I'm not judging. I personally, am not going to give Morrissey money at this stage in the game to go see him. Um, if Johnny was at a festival, I'd go see Johnny, I guess. But like people want a band where they can, some guy can be anyone up there kind of singing, singing along to Smith songs, and they can be in a huge group of people singing those Smith songs and crying and being excited to be there then that's what people want. Like, yeah. I, like, I know no one wants to hear that. Or like, I'm sure no one in the, the X-Smith camp wants to hear that. Um, I wouldn't be surprised and I wouldn't blame Johnny if he said, well, you guys having that taken away, maybe ticket sales for me. Um, but like, um, it's, and maybe that's not true, but I just, 
I just think this is uh, this is something I'd go to in a heartbeat. Like it's so it's so fun and it so clearly comes from a place of love and like respect. They have nothing to gain from that. It's at a festival. People bought passes anyway. They mm-hmm. probably get paid to play it, obviously. But like um, they said, you know what? Here's what here's what we really want to do this to the point where we want you to reserve a time slot just for us to play Smith songs because people want to hear Smith songs. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what else to tell you. Anyway, that was my little rant. No, no, no. <laughs> why I think it's special. No, for real. Um, a couple episodes ago with uh, uh, guest host Lucy Cowie, uh, mm-hmm. we talked about like Smith's cover bands and like this sort of doppelgangerism. And I yeah. found this like short like news documentary about like the third Smith's convention, which was held in like <laughs> 1989 or something. Um, right. And they had a Smith's cover band. It was two years after the Smith's had broken up and they were still yeah. like, we cannot stand the fact that we cannot see this band, even though Morrissey is still doing a ton of just Smith songs <laughs> in his, in his yeah. live career. They're like, right. no, we want, we want to be here. We want to be this group. And we want to have the sense of community. And I, I feel like it's something that this like Smith fans and like everybody that has listened to the Smiths that we just crave instinctively. Like we want that. Right. And we go back to the archives to all of these old, uh, old videos of the Smiths on the tube, the Smiths in Spain, the Morrissey Wolverhampton gig. <laughs> and we're like, we yeah. want to be there. It is a vicarious thing for us to uh, totally. to be at those sorts of events. Here's the thing, too. And I think everybody, again, everybody involved with the Smiths would agree with me on this or have said this to some degree. Um, the Smiths back catalog isn't, even though I just made the point that their story is so, and who they are as people is so intertwined with why people love them. Um, I also don't think the songs belong to them anymore. Like, they, I think that, People that people when a lot of artists say this once they get big or they have a really famous song that people get married to, you know, whatever um, they say, like, the song doesn't belong to me anymore. It belongs to all of you. So you are you obviously jack your life onto mm-hmm. it. You love the Smiths for the reasons you love the Smiths. And because it's so it's beyond liking Morrissey. It's beyond it's beyond any of those people, which is why I feel like there shouldn't be any like um, even though I have like the moral dilemma sometimes, <laughs> like I don't like this person. I just think or who he is now or and what he stands for. I think that has nothing to do with me because I, this music is so special to me. And I feel like a lot of people just want to hear them again. People want that communal experience because it's like the soundtrack of their life. And it, it almost has nothing to do with what it was once attached to, or it doesn't have to anymore. And so I think that's why doing something like this is really brilliant because it's just like a celebration of, music that like shapes you especially like in your youth since so many people get into the smiths when they're teenagers um so yeah that's really special i will say rick astley i became kind of a fan just from watching this because between sets he makes no secret of the fact that he's like he mentions multiple times can someone get me a beer can can we get more beers um cursing the whole way through he makes the crowd uh like lead chants cursing back at him it's so great and he is just having the time of his life it truly gives drunk uncle at a wedding energy saying but it's a whole set yeah. and it's at and Glastonbury <laughs> in like a giant stage and he's like a professional singer too yeah and it's so great I became a fan just because he was like like screw it like let's just this, this is the time to go big and um he he messes up his cue at some points and he's so like funny like in a truly funny way very self-deprecating about when he screws up or when he doesn't know a mm-hmm. line and it's just 
it's very sweet and again so like clearly done out of we're just gonna come here and have fun you all deserve i I, I love his sort of like like i think at some points like, he kind of just gets into it and he's doing his own thing and then he remembers like halfway through oh i'm supposed to be morrissey oh. and so he'll like poof up his quiff <laughs> and like kind of do like the yeah. the arm things or whatever um two other two other things one uh one is that in the middle of cemetery gates this is maybe my favorite moment in the whole thing in the middle of cemetery gates after uh he sings some dizzy horror 1804 he doesn't sing the last chorus because he goes i need you all to know and it takes him a second to like like make the, the dots connect in his head and he goes that's my favorite line in the whole <laughs> catalog it's some dizzy horror from 1804 and then they like finish the song um and then also i don't know if you noticed this little um which we talked about a little bit is on the drum head, and apparently they did this at the other shows too. Marry Me was put up in tape in like the same kind of scrawly font font as yeah. it is on Morrissey's chest. And it's on the drum head. And I saw that, I like caught that in like a split second thing, and I was like, oh, the they, Easter eggs. They're doing it for the for if there's ever a group that loves Easter eggs and reading into yeah. things and <laughs> taking like symbology and like making it like the most important thing in the world, you pick yeah. the right crew. That's what we're about here. No, for real. <laughs> um have you ever seen um the video of Trent Reznor when he's performing and he's like, if you can't, it's like at a festival and he goes, if you came here to have a good time, <laughs> you came to the wrong tent. <laughs> We're here to have it, listen to bad, good music and have a bad time. And then there's like a blast <laughs> many plays. That's kind of like, we're here to have a bad time. You came to the wrong place. <laughs> no. Yeah. I, I haven't seen that, but that, that is very Trent Reznor. Um, mm-hmm. Oh man. Yeah. I, <laughs> Ah uh, man, I I'm I'm so sick of good times only. Let me let me have a bad time and enjoy it. <laughs> but also, right? I was trying to think of uh, when I reread Smith's book when I was prepping for mm-hmm. the last podcast we did, and I'd never seen this quote before. And Johnny, as someone, I guess Johnny was talking about like if the Smiths are depressing. And first of all, of course, I think I make no secret Smiths are hilarious, and I think all these things about Smiths mm-hmm. that I kind of said last time, but um how misunderstood i think they are in a broader general sense but also um he's like i don't think it's depressing because depression is like the a void of feeling like it's it's absent of feeling whereas like melancholy is like full of all these different range of emotions that have to do with like the your like the peak of your joy and then also like when you when or sadness or like a immense feeling is like what melancholy is and he's like i think the smiths are that and me and morrissey were like totally on the same page with that um because the like and so it's like this range of feeling which also includes like ha- like this humorous side to it and like this wittiness to it and also like this anger and like pettiness and all of that is contained within the smith and so just to be like um like i made it like a, that was kind of a joke that i was telling but like um i think that's like another thing that people the why it's so cathartic and like a live setting is because it contains all of that and that's why people want to hear the songs live too um but anyway, I was thinking about that when I was kind of listening to it, being like melancholy is not like necessarily we're having a bad time. It can be that, but it can also be like this whole range of emotions that people get to experience and cry about and like uh, let yeah. out in like a live setting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So. <laughs> God yeah. bless uh, Rick Astley. Thank you for doing that, yeah. Mr. Astley, if you're listening <laughs> as a fellow fan. So. Whether it was 1984 or 2023, the Smiths' sort of legacy at Glastonbury is firmly cemented, and I, I think it really changes the way that the festival that the festival has worked. And I mean, 
who knows? I mean, this was such a talked about thing just in 2023. Mm -hmm. Who knows what happens at the next Glastonbury? Like if another couple artists decide to do a very, a very similar thing, you know, they pull out, they pull out the cranberries set list. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, um, I was, I thought you were going to say if it's like they add on people to the Smith, the Rick Astley Smith fan every year. (laughs) So it's like a, we are the world (laughs) doing like Smith songs. People are at the mic, uh, make like, way over singing and then bob dylan's looking like he doesn't know where he is and it's like a whole a whole situation um, anyway i think that'd be funny if they just like added on people every year <laughs> different people took a shot at that could happen too different shots the song. they're just it's like a dedicated Smith set every there you year. go there there's five acts in a row and they all get uh they all get their own studio album plus uh <laughs> plus whatever is on the the singles right, um, exactly all right all right, but anyways, I absolutely loved this gig. I'm so happy we have it recorded so that we can listen to it today. Totally. Oh man, just good times, good things good. in my soul. Good times, bad times to quote uh, Trent Reznor, but also great times. Yes. It is right. the, the range of the human experience. <laughs> Which is true. That's the Smiths. That's the Smiths. Uh, um. Should we go on to talk about what music we've been listening to? Yes, I'm so prepared. All right, fantastic. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. It is the music portion of the show. Basically, if you don't know what's going on here... Um, and Elise, I know that you do because we've talked about this before. Um, oh, yes. We have a dedicated playlist for each and every episode that we put up on Spotify under a profile called Smith's Cyclopedia. So uh, the playlist will have usually about four Smith songs, things that we've talked about in the episode, uh, three songs from me and three songs from our guest. Um, and... That will be, oh shoot, is this episode 18? So you, It's your show. It is my show. I, I really should know. Um, <laughs> Why are you looking at me? Uh, I, need, I need some sense of validation in my life. Just punching in, doing some late night editing. It would have been so much cleverer if it said, I need advice. Um, okay, I'm sorry. I should have looked it up. I didn't do enough research. No, no, no. Uh, so Smith Cyclopedia, episode 18, and I'll change that if I'm wrong. Um. <laughs> But anyways, let's talk about the Smiths. What uh, okay. what Smith songs should we throw on here uh, this week? Well, I I I'm gonna the people and the people being me want Gene on the playlist. Uh, actually, it's funny that you say that. That was something that I wanted to bring up earlier. What? Th- when they started playing Gene during the show, it always throws me off to hear Gene in a live setting because yeah. because I always go. <laughs> Wait, I don't remember this Smith song. Just because... <laughs> no! Real heads, no. Come on, Kaz. <laughs> you don't recognize Gene. What is this? It's not even like I don't recognize it. Like, <laughs> oh, I don't know what song this is. It's more like I don't recognize it as if, like, I'm seeing... Like, sometimes yeah. I'll see one of my roommates and I'll go, who are you? Even though I've lived with him for, like, two years. Right. 
They do. I always think of it was like the first few. Maybe it was like the first filmed Hacienda gig. Mm-hmm. They did Gene at that. So like for the first few gigs, they only had so many songs, so they played Gene. Um, but you're right. By this point in the game, it was a it was a it was a a wild card to add it. So, first one right off the bat, we're throwing the wild card. It's Gene. Gene. Let's go. We also talked a little bit about Barbers and Begins at Home, mm-hmm. and that might be a nice little Andy tribute. Yes. Uh, so let's add that. All right, I, I you you I pick two, you pick the other two. All right, I'm gonna say nowhere fast. It mm. like opening up their set, unreleased song. the The album that's on isn't going to come out for another year. I think that absolutely right. has to be on there. And oof, um, um, I wish they had the version the live version of I Know It's Over from Irvine right? on Spotify, because that would absolutely be be the one to end with. It would be good. Um, but I think may- maybe a different a different live version. Question mark from either the I know on streaming they have Ray that is true. Yeah. And, and the version um, on the they deluxe have the live from, in Boston. Yeah. 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 Um, Which I think is um, my other controversy. Uh, we can talk about this whenever you do a rank episode, but I think. The live in Boston, the two ones on streaming, I think the live in Boston set is a better performance set. I agree. Um, I think Mm. Rank has some problems to it. Earlier, it was much, first of all, they did the American tour first. So everybody was still fresh. Everybody was still not exhausted. Mm -hmm. Everybody was still not mad about things, maybe, or grudges about things, maybe. (laughs) You know, Um, who's to say? Again, it's all speculation, but. Yeah. Um, But yeah, we'll, we'll throw the Boston version of I Know It's Over on there. It's a good one. There's, it's hard to find. I will say, even the rank version. I know it's over. is great. It's hard to find a bad live version of "I Know It's Over." That is true. So. They, they, they always go very, very dramatic for it. Which the song, love it. The song deserves to be dramatic. It demands that. It demands I mean, it. opening up a song with "Oh Mother, I Can Feel the Soil Falling Over My Head." Yeah. Like, come on. You you've given up any sort of idea of like, oh, you know, I want to be, I want to be like kind of subtle and like hold my cards back me. you're like no bury me i'm Subtlety? dead do we know that do we know her are we familiar with her work here in uh the smith's universe i don't know not always not here <laughs> not for that one <laughs> oh man all right um so that's that's our four smith songs elise yes. what do you want to throw on here okay uh, last time i truly just went with things i'm listening to recently and i was like, oh, maybe that was a bad idea. Um, so, <laughs> but I tried to, I tried to connect all three of these to the Smiths, and trust me, they're tenuous connections. Um, okay, so my first pick is very, it actually maybe the most Smiths-related one. So my one of my last interviews I did, or most recent, not last, um, most recent interviews I did was with Russell Mail of Sparks. Really? And all right, that's cool. I, You've never seen me shake on a call like I was because <laughs> he's such a big deal to me. He was so I was I did the thing. I don't think I've ever done in an interview, which is say just to let you know, you're like a really big deal to me. I asked to do this like uh, an editor reached out to me or reached out to like a writer's list he had and was like, does anybody want to do this? I'm like, yes, I would love to do this anyway. Um, so I did. I was so embarrassing and was like, I just want to let you know this is a big deal to me and I'm very excited to talk to you and you're great. And he and he was very gracious and kind. He was lovely to talk to. Um and while we were waiting, because he had a list of press things he was doing that day, because Sparks have a new album out, if you want to go uh, get it on Island, everybody. Um, and it's good. I really enjoyed it. 
Um, it's as wonderfully weird and funny as you would hope it would be. Um, so I was on the call with his manager waiting for him or their manager. Uh, Ron wasn't there, but, and she said, just wondering, and maybe it's cause I'm, I look like I'm in my twenties cause mm-hmm. I am. And she was like, how'd you get, how'd you get into Sparks? And I was like, it's, I can oh, tell boy. you right now, it was a combination of, of Bjork loving Kimono mm-hmm. my house and the Smith loving Kimono my house. And I, that's what I told Sparks' manager. <laughs> I was like, these are the reasons that I love them. Anyway, Morrissey very famous, very famously uh, wrote in in 1974. He wrote to I think it was Melody Maker maybe or Sounds. He wrote in saying, "Why haven't you talked about this LP?" And it was "Come Out of My House" by Sparks, one of his favorite albums of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is an incredible album. I love this album. I think you hear the Smiths when you can so clearly hear both the Smiths and like someone like Bjork's footprints. Like when you can hear the where the sound came from, and that I think that says something for an album. And um, I love Sparks. They're amazing. Those first five albums actually are like pretty every spark. I don't think there's there are very few bad Sparks albums, even though they've been like 26 or whatever, however many 27, maybe now mm-hmm. um, there's something to find on every Sparks album changing genres so much. I'm just such a big fan. And it was lovely getting to talk to this person that I really admire. My whole point with this is Morrissey's also a big Sparks fan. And um, so I decided to pick a Sparks song because okay. they've been on my mind. Um, so. I kind of looked into, I kinda, that was my big, you know, you know how this works now. We get a yes. big intro and then it leads up to, so I picked one of the spark songs that Morrissey's had on his tour playlist before that he's like played before shows or during, I guess when he did intermissions or whatever, cause which is all on passions, just like mine, all that info. Um, so I decided to pick a B side. I'm going to get a little crazy. It's from the second sparks album and it's called Beaver Olindy. I think it was the B side of girl from Germany, which is like the big hit from that album. Um, but I think this song, Beaver Olindy, it has like multiple like movements to it, sort of. There's like a like it starts one way and then a third of the way through it like double times and becomes like kind of a different song. And I think you can just hear maybe where a certain someone would eventually go with their music within that sort of that sort of blueprint mm-hmm. they set out. Uh, so, yeah, that's going to be my first pick is Sparks and the song Beaver Olindy. Pick two. <laughs> not so Smiths related. Here, hold on, real, um, real fast, from, real fast. Aside, how I got into Sparks was also the Smiths, but via Lighten Up Morrissey. Um, that one song they did. Oh yeah. So I thought for sure that's what that's where you were going. Um, anyways, I'm done. Oh, I'm no, done. No, no, pick no, two. No. Pick two. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I actually thought about bringing up with him uh, the Swedehead remix that Sparks did, which is amazing. It like completely cuts the song up into pieces. Mm. It's on streaming. So if someone else wants to look that up, that's not my pick, but like, um, and it's so incredible and it like recontextualizes the song completely and it's brilliant. Um, anyway, my second pick is my connection is that um, this person before they put an album out was like the youth poet laureate in the US. So it's very great lyrics on this album, which I guess ties to this myth. <laughs> that's like the last connection you get a lot of it is about um reflecting on your life choices and meditating on um like where how you move forward which is not something we're great at in the smith universe <laughs> either it's, we bring it up but we acknowledge the problems but we don't necessarily mm-hmm. fix them um but um so this album it's like my album of the year so far which is why i wanted to bring it up of stuff that's come out this year um her name's kara jackson and the album's called Why Does the Earth Give Us People to Love? I saw her live a few weeks ago, and she was so incredible. She's, I guess, a sort of chamber folk-ish. Um, someone made, like, a Joanna Newsom comparison, but much less, like, um, structured. It's much more, like, singer songwritery okay. And beautiful production, orchestral flourishes that are really well-placed. 
her voice is really interesting. Um, she's a great songwriter. Um, and so my sort of uh, pick from this album is a song called, uh, and you can bleep this out if you want to later. I just realized this. <laughs> Kaz, I want everyone to know that Kaz asked me very nicely not to swear. And if you've ever heard, if you've heard me pause throughout this, it's because I'm trying to think of a word to go in its place. <laughs> the song is called Dickhead Blues. <laughs> oh, okay. You know what? Dick, dickhead is an acceptable swear word. I, I, I more mean like you know, <laughs> yeah, nothing, nothing that will have me put like a little e next to uh next yeah, to no, the episode. I, I, it was a very reasonable request, and I get why you made it. <laughs> so, and I understand you don't want that tag on it, but I'm just very overly cautious now because I want to respect your request. Oh well, thank so, you. Anyway, I appreciate that. This song is don't let the title fool you because this song is beautiful and um just like it it like uh swells this like beautiful round at the end and it's just like um it's kind of what i need right now um emotionally as like my my little blanket is this song um so kara jackson with a k kara um you should go listen to the whole album because it's brilliant um also not to diverge a little bit but i saw that you are now part of wise blood nation yes absolutely oh my god when i say i saw her because i saw you post about that and i was like welcome because that her, her album that she put out a few years ago was like my album of the year that year. Um, Titanic. Titanic. She's, yeah. I got. I went to see her maybe like a month before I saw you saw her and uh, I, I that festival you were at that was a great lineup too. You yes, out, kill me. Like, yes, <laughs> kill me. I I knew people who were there who like flew out to go go there like people who work in music and um, mm. just to like hang out because it was such a great lineup. Yeah. Um. Anyway, I love Wise Blood. I'm not gonna pick. I should have. I thought about picking her, but I'm not gonna pick her. Um. But anyway, welcome. Uh. <laughs> I went. I went to see her on the same. You know what? I I also thought about picking her. You should now. Whatever. It's, it's, um, and then my last pick, which we're gonna come around to now, and it's not Wisewood, is um. Uh, oh right. So remember when you said, "Hey, you should get into suede for next time we do one of these." Mm-hmm. So I did the exact opposite, and I've decided I'm getting into pulp. <laughs> oh, actually, you know what? That's fine. I was also going to bring up pulp earlier in the show. Um, no way. I, I, I can't remember why now. Um, but anyways, yes, we we love pulp. We no, it was bad cover version. That's what I was oh. going to bring up. <laughs> if you've ever seen pulp's bad cover version, it's so funny. I anyways, haven't. look that up after we're done. I'm new in my fandom. All right, but pulp. What do you got? Yes. So um, my kind of like Smith's connection to pulp because I was thinking about this, and, I, and this is going to be longer than it needs to be again. But like, um, I was thinking about like the Smiths interview where they're both funny bands and they're both very British bands and they're mm -hmm. funny in the way that they are. They're British in the way that they are funny with their sense of humor and there's class commentary. And so they don't, I also read something where Jarvis Cocker, cause obviously, I mean, not obviously, but um, this pulp started in 1978 and then no one had like, they didn't become a big band until like the nineties. Um, so they were technically contemporaries and Jarvis Cocker said, he was like, I really thought we were finished when the Smiths, came around and got really big really fast because he was like there can't be two weird guys like this <laughs> he thought morrissey was too in his lane a little bit he's like we're never gonna get really famous now because this guy is <laughs> he's like they're northern too oh my god they can only take like one northern band a year that gets big <laughs> and it's like a weird awkward guy like me and it's just he was like oh my god it's finished and then he was like it was just me being petty and jealous but like um i thought that was really funny but because they don't exist in the same exact universe um but it's but i kind of like those little like sort of kind of connections anyway mm -hmm. um for my other kind of band one i went with a b-side so i'm going to pick a hit for this one and okay. it's a perfect pop song i think and it's the song babies which was yes. sort of their like breakout song 
And I've for long, a long time, even though my Smith, oh, not my Smith, my Smith fandom is not new. My pulp fandom is kind of new. I said it's, I told someone, I think I tweeted it. I was like, it's my last weird, weird, lanky kind of flailing British guy band that I haven't conquered yet. Um, so I was like, this is the last, it's the last one standing that I need to conquer. Um, and so, but I've always thought this is like a perfect pop song. And it's so, it's like intentionally like a 14 year old boy lyrics, but it's also like a t- such a tearjerker because it's so like beautiful and cathartic as like a pop like moment. And no, that last yeah. minute is like a perfect pop song ending. Like it's incredible. So his and hers is one of my favorite albums from, uh, from my late teenagehood. Yeah, it's, it's really great. Again, I'd, I'd, would I ever reach standum with them? Maybe not. They can never be the Smiths or they could never be like the cure in my eyes. If we're talking about weird British men, uh, dancing out front but um, yeah <laughs> but um i really i love that i will ride or die for that song so yes i was thinking about it's that. so good so i'll add that as like a like a hit for the a hit for the, the kids to enjoy <laughs> all right <laughs> now you go all right the first one that i am going to bring up i actually brought this band up like a couple weeks ago with mm-hmm. uh with Lucy uh Lucy Cowie again mm-hmm. and they just released another song and it's so good it's uh the last dinner party uh oh. the song sinner um okay yeah I know of them. yes they're they're quite good they're quite dramatic and they're quite um i don't know they're they they really are kind of uh this generation sort of thing um yeah like they're kind of cynical and they're kind of like anti-establishment, but they're so like, I, I don't know. They're perfect uh, to, they're perfect for being well known, I guess, at this per- current point in time. I don't know if any of that makes sense. I'll edit okay, all of speaking, that out. You're speaking how you feel. How can yeah. you edit that out? From um, the heart. <laughs> uh, I, I guess so. Um, it's, it's more like from the collapsed lung, but oh well. Um, anyways, uh, so the last dinner party sinner, um, good song. I really enjoy it. Um, Mm. and then I feel like we, we, we have to have blossoms on here, you know? Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, they absolutely deserve a spot on here. Um, but which song I'm... I'm not entirely sure. Like part of me just wants to say, wants to say Charlemagne. Cause like, you know, it's the biggest one that they yeah. have. I've never um, gotten super into blossoms, uh, not to embarrass myself as a professional music writer, but they're, I don't know. They've never really, I know of them, but you know, they never really cross my radar. So pick one that you think is a good entryway. Then probably just Charlemagne. Um, yeah, I think it's, it, it, it's their biggest song for a reason that, they're a band that like came out right before uh, or like right during like 2017 ish, mm. uh, which is uh, for, for people that don't know. Hi, my name is Casimir Hurd. I'm a <laughs> member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I went on I went on a Mormon mission and they <laughs> broke right before I left and wasn't <laughs> uh, wasn't listening to music for two years. And so, oh, wow, like all of my memories of them. Well, I, I shouldn't say I wasn't listening to music for two years. I was listening to music. It was more just like, okay, well, the music that I'm listening to should be more like, you know, Christian stuff because, you know, I'm supposed to be 
out here talking about jesus for all day every day for two years so fair enough yeah can't Um, argue with that (laughs) disclaimer i hate christian rock so much i hate (laughs) it so much anyways um but anyways so blossoms charlemagne it's a good song it's a great introduction to the band and then for my third one Am I, allo- am I allowed to do a little self-promotion on here? What what, what do you think? I did I a little self-promotion last week. You. but Just do oh, it. Oh. <laughs> You're too generous. You're too generous. All right. Um, I sounded really so... generous, too. <laughs> I know. You, you were like, me. yeah, you were sharpening a knife. Oh, go no. ahead, you know. <laughs> no, do it. Do it. Um, Just go. So, yeah. So, uh, a couple weeks ago, I released this EP called John Hughes Thoughts. And uh, thank you, thank you. Essentially, what uh, what it is, is it's about how I feel like watching too many John Hughes movies really messed up my perception of what like love and relationships are supposed to be like. So it starts off with like this song that's about like uh, songs and records and movies and like, you know, how do I come to terms with all of that? And then the rest of it is like, okay, from like, head over the heel head over heels infatuation love to like oh okay actually i don't understand how to do this to this final song which is the one that i'm going to put on here today called melancholia takes flight mm. um which is essentially just like a complete lament over uh over the fact you know it's hard it's hard to uh it's hard to forget uh people that you've invested so much uh so much emotion into um i wrote it with a friend of mine graham saxton and it starts off like slow and like acoustic and then we incorporate some strings in and then all of these overdub guitars and so eventually by the end of the song you've just got this like big gigantic uh guitar space uh going on as I'm singing like high falsettos and you've got strings in the background, whatever. I'm very proud of it. So that is my third pick. Um, and I hope you listen to it and enjoy it. Woo! Rack up the streaming numbers. Woo, 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 Let's woo, woo. go. All right. Make us, a, make us a fraction of a cent. That's right. <laughs> if you're stream, yo, if you're streaming this, actually, I shouldn't say that the, this podcast goes out <laughs> everywhere, but whatever. If you're streaming this on Apple music, I get slightly more of a percent of a cent. Oh, okay. so heck yeah! All right, stream it on Apple, everybody. Free trial, come on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they let it run for a little no, bit. No, for real. Just e- <laughs> even if you just like uh, look it up uh, somewhere, uh, download it illegally. What what matters more to me is that uh, you listen to it and that you like it and that you know it means something to you. Well said. Thank you. Thank you. All right. But that's all that I have as far as my music goes. So again, you can find all of those songs on Smith's Cyclopedia episode 18, that playlist on Spotify. All right. All right. Let's just have a brief uh, section on mail. Why don't we? Yeah, we can do mail. Well, everybody, thank you for joining us for the mail section of the show. Uh, today, we don't have a whole ton to go over, but uh, if you'd like to write into the show, you can do so by reaching us at smithcyclopedia at gmail.com or reaching out to our socials, which are at smithcyclopedia 
on Instagram and on TikTok. We have a uh, a letter uh, from uh, from our Gmail uh, from Marcel, uh, which is something that I wanted to bring up at this point and address because I feel like it's something that I need to say as well. She uh, Marcel says hi, very much enjoy your podcast, but am put off by the quality of your voice continuously cutting off. Uh, what is the reason for that? It's very jarring. And really, I apologize, because that is a problem that has happened, especially in the last two episodes. I've tried to edit around it, but really what it is, is I have had so much schoolwork to do recently, and so I've had my computer go through so many processing problems that that I pretty much just needed to refresh and re-optimize my computer for audio recording. Um... I'm going to try to make sure that that doesn't happen again. Um, but thank you for sticking with. Uh, I really do. Uh, I I really do want these to be good, but I am also working on a budget. But she, uh, Marcel continues, uh, to such an extent that I consider switching off, which is unfortunate. I hope you don't. Uh, but uh, so I can continue to enjoy the contents of this wonderful podcast. So, I mean, Marcel isn't just saying like, this show sucks. Like, it is a good show. The audio just needs to be fixed. Thank you guys for sticking with. Um, yeah. <laughs> I apologize for that. I love that before... And again, I'm not here all the time, but <laughs> I love that before we started this, I was like, by the way, I have a computer issue, so I sound might not be great today. <laughs> Sorry, Marcel. No, it, it it's fine. I'm, I'm, sure it'll, I'm sure it'll be great. And if not, we can re-record. Um... Because frankly, at this point, I'm like, I don't want another bad product. You're working with to, what uh, you got. Go out. I don't. Yeah. Um. All right. My uh, the the second thing is actually a question for you. It's a question that I had earlier and I forgot. Oh, okay. Um, we talked a little bit about like uh, Rick Astley and Blossoms playing the Smiths, and you know maybe Glastonbury. Like more more people will play the Smiths. Do you think any of the Smith songs have do you think any Smith songs have potential to become like um oh what is the word I'm looking for not I mean they're they are classics standards like wow. Neil Young's Harvest Moon I feel like transcends Neil Young yeah. to the point where it is just a standard people that, just know the standard song, song that, aren't that you Neil know Young fans, yeah. yeah um well I feel like in a lot of ways um there is a light it has kind of already reach that but also i think that the smiths don't write songs that people i always think of it in terms and this is just like my opinion blanket statement whatever you can prove me wrong um i feel like weddings and funerals are what i gauge things by like when i think of like um i'm Mm -hmm. also a big nick cave fan and um i think of like people would play something like into my arms which is I feel like one of his most famous songs, like they play, you play that at a wedding. So that transcends Nick Cave being like a weird vampire man. Right. Um, but but I feel like, um, I feel like the Smiths have, and this is to their credit. This is like a compliment and why I love them. Um, it's hard to find a Smiths song that is not in some way funny or have like an eye roll embedded into it or like some morbid, like even there is a light. It's like a suicide pact. Yeah, I feel like I think among indie Andy Rourke kind of famously said there is a light is the indie candle in the wind. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, no. And so I think among a certain group of people, people who love 
music that is like Smith or alternative music at large know that like that's like a song everybody who likes that kind of music knows um and that transcends all things uh whether how you feel about the smiths people usually have a smith song they're like oh but i like that song and a lot of the time i feel like it's like how soon is now because it doesn't sound like a typical smith song um but i feel like if you i think in like terms of anybody could like this song and you don't need to have that sort of uh, like a bent on it or like knowing going in that you're gonna get something that is not a typical pop song or like a pop song with a weird like slant on it I don't think so. There is no straight ahead Smith song that doesn't contain something. Like if I try to think of like my, my grandmother listening to a Smith song, she, she would turn off. Cause like, I feel like <laughs> with a song like that, that enters the standard, the stead, like is a standard in quotes, any generation of person, like any age person, any walk of life person can say, wow, that's a beautiful song. And I don't know if the Smiths have that in them. And that is a compliment. As I said, yeah, they're too weird. <laughs> I, I i forgot to bring this up earlier in the show but johnny marr also like i think he mentions that halfway through the glastonbury set he realized how weird the smith songs were and he was like i'm kind of proud of that we're so inside of it that we don't realize how weird these songs sound too and maybe also because the 90s was a time where alternative music so much money was going in and out of the music industry and mm-hmm. they would sign any band that they thought maybe sounded like nirvana because it was the people in suits realizing oh we don't know what's going on again so we'll just sign whatever band kind of sound has a guitar like whatever and there was so much revenue from it from cds and stuff and i feel like because alternative music reached the monoculture or like the mainstream i feel like we don't realize how like I feel like we live in a different world now and we are kind of desensitized to how weird the Smiths are. The Smiths are weird. (laughs) (laughs) And maybe it's also because their influence has spread so wide with bands that are like them. Yeah. But I think when you actually like, um, who is, who is the, uh, there's a, if uh, a Smiths fan is a very specific type of person. It's a broad, diverse group of people who are huge Smiths fans, but I feel like they're, it's hard to pick one song that I think I try to think of like the major Pop, super popular Smith songs or relatively popular Smith songs mm-hmm. and I'm like I don't know if it I think it exists in its little indie niche yeah. whatever indie means anymore too and I mean like culturally rather than like literally independent um, and I think it's better that way maybe yeah I think maybe for the festival going crowd <laughs> there is a light is is you know that can be your candle in the wind mm-hmm. but um, yeah outside of that I don't really know yeah I, I'm gonna say no and that's a good thing, I think. No, yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> yeah, just something something that crossed my mind. All right, if you'd... Uh, that's a good question. Thank you, thank you. Uh, if you'd <laughs> like to write into the show what Smith songs you think uh, could become standards or how the Smiths will never, ever have any songs that are standards, write into the show. Again, you can <laughs> do so at smithcyclopedia at gmail.com or on our social like, pages. Can you see Michael... Sorry. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> is is Michael Bublé singing your song? That's how you know it's a standard. <laughs> <laughs> is Michael Good. Bublé, you shut your mouth. <laughs> no, he's not. Yeah. I, I think no. Everybody prove me wrong. Go yell at me. I'll listen and hear and then Michael, uh, find you. <laughs> Michael Michael Bublé singing Some Girls Are Bigger Than Others. Oh, oh my that, God. That would go down great. <laughs> He, yeah, the, the, instead of the Christmas album this year, Smith's covered. Michael Bublé is going to stand in for Rick Astley next year for our Glastonbury Dance oh, on True. Yeah, yeah. Full circle, full circle. <laughs> Let's All right. make it happen. Michael, get us on the horn. 
All right. Right in. He just gave me the email. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Elise. Um, no problem. But yeah, so write into that email, smithcyclopedia at gmail.com or our socials, which are at smithcyclopedia. Another way that you can write in is uh, by leaving us a five-star review. And usually I check Apple Podcasts because that's the one that I listen to all of my podcasts on. But uh, uh, leaving a five-star review helps us to reach more people. And it's also just very, very nice for me. It's a very kind thing to do as well. It's a good way to practice your your writing skills. How to how to leave a five star review and still sound negative. Um, <laughs> um, but anyways, that's it for our show today. Um, Elise, do you have anything else that you want to mention? Uh, no. You can find uh, if you want to like find me. If you didn't listen to the first one, maybe I'm on the sinking ship that is Twitter at Moon Age Demon. I'm on the also owned by the bad billionaire, but still functioning sort of uh, app Instagram at smiles awake. And then the letter U. I write a, a sub stack that I write about music a lot on and like my musings. If you enjoyed me, like long pauses, I think I feel like I'm much more articulate in writing. Than I she am is. She's um, a very good writer. So, thank you. Kaz. Uh, so that's all all one word or all, all one URL. Things are getting kind of gross. Dot sub kind of not kind of uh dot substack.com and yeah if you want to find me or read my writing or do something like that or uh tell me that i'm wrong and that michael buble is currently calling his pr people and setting up um despite me setting up the covers album i, I reach out i feel like the only person <laughs> to know that is michael buble and that would be fantastic if he was listening to the show michael write in <laughs> michael come on <laughs> All right. Well, I think I think that's it from from both us then. All right. Yeah. Goodbye, you rock and rollers. 